Rashenda Sandal, welcome to Tell a Friend. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Brian. It's so lovely to be here. Now, I wanted to begin by just asking you how you've been uh, given the pandemic and generally the craziness of 2020. Oh, well, um, I've actually been really, really lucky. I've, I've, I feel very blessed at the moment. I've um, actually been able to carry on working um, throughout even the kind of first lockdown. I, I kind of got a little gig. So um, all has been fairly uh, normal and, and I've been able, I've been lucky enough to have things to focus on. So um, I, I'm, I'm not as unlucky as some people who have been kind of um, stuck in kind of tower blocks and um, severely kind of vulnerable people who, are, who, who haven't been able to, to leave their properties at all for kind of like nearly six months. So I, I feel I haven't got, I haven't got any right to complain really at all because it's, it's, it's been made fairly normal for me really. I've been having lots of things to focus on so I'm, I'm not too bad, not too bad, thank you. <laughs> now, especially as an uh, actor, how, how does that all work? with lockdown and social distancing, you know, are you still filming? Yeah, so um, the first project I did within the first lockdown was actually Talking Heads uh, and Alan Bennett monologue um, that they decided to um, redo from uh, the 80s and 90s. Um, so that was actually a process that was done on uh, the EastEnders set, funnily enough, because it was not being used at the time. And it was very, very um, uh, s sterile and clean. And uh, so basically, because it's a monologue, we could work it with a skeleton crew, obviously with everybody wearing full PPE. Um, so yeah, um, monologues are pretty straightforward to do during COVID, but uh, uh, doing um, set work in scenes, there's, there's a really regimented testing system that's going on at the moment. So, um, I mean, I went into work the other day and they've got a test now that's turned around in 25 minutes. So you get tested the, the moment that you kind of walk through the door or the day before so that you covered each day and and then acting itself at the moment in scenes is is, is fairly fairly normal back 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 to normal because obviously once you've been tested and um you've you you don't have a positive then you can you can crack on as you would before yeah now you're best known for your roles in line of duty black mirror love lies and records but here comes mangrove um yeah for those who are watching who may not have heard, I don't know where they've been, but Mangrove is a part of a five-part series that Steve McQueen is directing and producing. And uh, the first film of this series, Mangrove, which you're in, is airing this Sunday on the 15th of November on BBC One. And yeah. in it, you play Barbara Bees. Uh, and yes. we'll get to that later, but could you talk to me about how you you know, first got involved with this project? Well, how I first got involved with the project was very, very kind of um, a standard procedure uh, as, as many actors go through. Um, I went to meet the wonderful casting director, Gary Davey, and um, auditioned for him. And then um, the next, the second round, went through to meet um, uh, the, the, the great, the great Steve McQueen and um, did a little uh, few scenes with him. And then, um, got rung up three hours later and said uh, you, you've you've got the part which is quite it's, that's quite fairly unusual in 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 our world to get get a call so quickly <laughs> but um no i think i think he's a very decisive man and he and he, and he knows what he wants and i'm, I'm I, I feel very blessed to be picked so um yeah that's that's how that's how i got into the role 
Now, could you talk to my audience about the story of Mangrove? Could you explain to them what the film is? Of course, of course. So um, it's, a, it's a story about um, the first time that police brutality against the black community, and it turned out actually against the working class community, that uh, was brought to the forefront of, um, you know, politics and the media. Um, it's a story of a bunch of people that decided, the Mangrove Nine, who decided to um, represent themselves in court after being uh, taken to court for um, protesting and uh, rioting, rioting in a fray, as the high courts called it. And um, two of the nine decided to represent themselves and it's about basically that journey from kind of a peaceful protest into a high court. Now, my interest in, in all of this is coincidentally, uh, last year I actually did an oral history project on the Mangrove Nine trial. So when I, when I found out that Steve McQueen was, you know, doing this film, it was, you know, incredible for me to actually yeah. come to life on screen. Uh, but I'm wondering, had you come across or heard about the trial before? This is such an interesting question because this is something that we all said at the beginning of the process. And actually, um, it turned out that none of us had heard the um, story before. Even um, Steve McQueen, whose father, um, I've read in an article somewhere, actually frequented um, the Mangrove restaurant. Um, and it's just something that wasn't uh, known, which we were all quite surprised by. Because as it, as it stands in a moment of history, it, it's, it's a very poignant moment of history because it is the first time that it was kind of uh, police brutality was flagged up in the media. So for us not to have known it was quite shocking, really. But then thus is history at the moment. We're, we're, we're tussling with British history and the stories that are and are not being told. So hopefully this will be a gateway into opening up more stories about um, black history and also other cultures history within Britain. Um, yeah, so hopefully this is uh, the next move to um, get art and history aligned. Now in the film you play the amazing Barbara Bees. Uh, yeah. So could you begin by just talking to my audience about who Barbara is and why she's such a hero in British history? Well, Barbara is um, a fierce political uh, activist. She turned into a, a political activist, but um, as the story starts, she's a, a primary school teacher who's living in Notting Hill. She um, went through um, the care system as a child. Um, so I think working alongside children was a, was a natural move for her, for sure. And um, just living in London and within the Notting Hill community and feeling that brutality and the intrusion of the police, I think led further to her political um, work within uh, the Black Panther, the Black Panthers groups. And um, yeah, so she's, she's an amazing woman who, who was part of the Nine and, and, and stood 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 for what they all stood for and uh, was uh, one of the people that went to, to court. And, and that's her story up to the point of the film beginning. And what was your research process before playing this role? Did you meet Barbara? Did you go to the archives? What, what did you do? Well, um, I, I actually got the role and then about two or three weeks later we were starting. So a lot of my research was done um, uh, via the script. The script is obviously the most important thing. And um, yeah, but we also read a book 
from uh, CLR James, but we read that all together. It's called The Black Jacobins and it's about um, revolutionary tales um, and uh, which is something that there's like the, the character of CLR James is actually in the film. And so he will have given uh, this group the book. So actually as the nine, as the actors play in the nine, we all read it at the same time, which I thought was uh, a, a nice touch. And, and we were all kind of getting into the history of it through there. But it, it, we were just all playing off each other and, and sharing what we all knew together as the nine would have done um collectively in meetings and such so yeah it kind of happened organically really and i've got to say at the second screening that we were at there was this you know beautiful moment where all of the cast and the family you know were taking pictures together and i thought that yeah. was an amazing moment where you know you've got the descendants of the nine there with the people who are playing their mums and dads it was a great moment, but as an actress, were you apprehensive about playing a real life, you know, living figure who eventually is going to watch the film? <laughs> yeah, no, it was. It's, it's always a bit. It's always a bit. You always feel a bit of apprehension, but um, you know, I, I think that in terms of honouring the piece, I don't think that and honouring their story, I I don't think that you could get. Uh, a better director to um, bring bring that to life, bring the story to life, and, and, and bring the truth and the art um, to the forefront. I don't think that they could have asked for a better a, a better human being to do it. So um, yeah, I, and I mean, from what I could tell, I don't know. You might feel different, but um, it feels like they were very passionate about the project, and um, they, they 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 back it a hundred percent. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, and they're all so friendly and we're actually actively kind of getting involved with the community uh, as well. Um, so we're doing a Zoom meeting tomorrow with the community where we're just going to kind of talk politics and um, talk about the film and how everybody felt. Because unfortunately at the moment with COVID, talking to people at great length is, is, is a little bit difficult as, you, you know, you can't, you can't even get a room to sit in at the moment. So, um, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to that chat tomorrow to really find out how individually they all felt. Now, I've got to say, having studied the Mangrove Nine trial and, you know, seen the story in kind of its entirety, looking at the beginning of the trial to the end, you see that it's not, you know, a fairy tale story. Uh, there were, you know, a lot of people who were hurt and traumatized yeah. as a result. And uh, there was this really lovely scene that people will see in the film where you have Althea Jones LaQuant, who was one of the nine as well, and Barbara Bees, you know, sitting uh, just outside the courtroom, consoling each yeah. other. Yeah. And, you know, I thought that was an amazing scene because it kind of brings home that, you know, yes, they are these activist heroes, yeah. but, you know, they're also human beings who went through hardship. And I wanted to know yeah. from you, how did you go about balancing that portrayal, you know, between yeah. portraying Barbara as this, you know, fierce activist, but also yeah. sort of the vulnerability. Um, in yeah. Well, you know, passion and, and love and anger and, you know, uh, hatred all run very parallel, parallel lines in, in, in human existence. Um, you know, there's a really deep, a meaningful moment with that scene because you know Althea is actually carrying a child 
um, Barbara has already got her baby by that point. And so, because Barbara's been brought up through the, was brought up through the care system, that uh, it, anger and hatred of that, and also the love of her son drives her to be very, very emotional because she doesn't want her son to go through the care system because at that point, um, the care system is, um, it, I'm not saying that it's perfect now, but it, it certainly wasn't what it is now. And so, um, yeah, but I mean, everybody's human really, aren't they? But it is a very, very fiery project. It's very, very passionate and it's full of anger, but it has also got love. I was very surprised when I watched it for the first time how many um, light moments there are, how many smiles that you kind of catch, the dancing, celebration. Because at the end of the day, you know, the, at the back of this, you know, problematic issue with the police, um, these people were living in a community that was going well. You know, they were all looking after each other. They've got their own restaurants they were living harmoniously with um, lots of several different cultures the problem was the police brutality had they just left them alone would it have been the kind of a really great community um that that, that went well probably you know but because of all the intrusion and the oppression it was impossible to carry on the way that they were going they had to do something they had to take action so yeah, it's, it was, it's, a, it's a very interesting piece in that way. Yeah, and I think we also have to point out that for Althea and Barbara being, you know, two powerful women who were really leading figures within, you know, a male-dominated movement. Yeah. That's no small feat. Um, and uh, I'm gonna ask you an obvious question now, but why do you think the film is so significant today, uh, bearing in mind Black Lives Matter movement that uh, resurged this summer, and generally uh, the Black British it's, it's hugely, um, it's hugely relevant for today because like you say, with the BLM movement, um, what's kind of tragic about the imagery in the film is that as you see the kind of um, peaceful protests as it begins with the banners and the, and the placards, it actually looks pretty much identical to the BLM movement. Now, had we had access to this history before, could we have learned from the history? Perhaps, obviously that's just a speculation, but I think access to history is everything and education is, is everything. So I think the relevance of this film right now, yeah, is, is, is that it's about taking ownership of, of British history and showing British history as a whole. I mean, there's some, there's some really fantastic historians at the moment, I'm sure you know, you know, um, D David Olasoga to name a few, um, Afwa Hirsch, um, these people are really, and I mean, these are kind of academics, which are, which, which, which you need the backing of in order to create a kind of truthful art anyway. And they're bringing to the forefront a whole view of British history, not just history, not just a British history that's written by the winners. I think that everybody has the right to their history. And I think that, as I said before, you know, this is a gateway, a segue alongside all of those amazing historians and people like yourself that are, um, are, are pushing the facts forward and um, yeah I just I think it's an incredible time to be alive at the moment. And working on this project um, which is directed by Steve McQueen 
you know, that's something a lot of actors don't get to do, working with no. a legendary director. Yeah. So what was that like? Did you have any nerves, you know, first day on set? What was that like? Of course. I mean, from, from the, from the, from the get-go, really. I mean, um, the, the audition, I remember kind of waiting outside the room thinking, oh, my goodness, he's in that room. But then he, he just, he totally, he doesn't have an ego at all. He totally deflates all of that. The moment that you see him, he kind of, even in the audition, he kind of popped his head out the door and he, he was like, do you mind if you just make a cup of tea? I'm, <laughs> I'm gasping. So he, he went a bit and then that just gets rid of all of your nerves. It makes you realise he is a totally normal human being. His whole thing is truth and art coming to the forefront. He cares about everything. I've never had a... Uh, process quite like it and nerves isn't the right word it's just that you want it to be right for everyone when you're on that set with him I mean he is an artist of the highest order he, he treats uh, a shot like um, like a blank canvas every single millimeter of that canvas is touched by him and it's it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful process and for him to be back in the UK as well is amazing to be back on British soil and to tell the stories of his ancestors as well. It just felt like a really, really beautiful moment in his history, as well as British history, as well as our history. And um, yeah, and I hear he's, he's going to be making more. So uh, yeah, fingers crossed uh, for him making more British stories. Um, but of course, there's the other five, five films as well that we've just all got a look forward to watching and I can't wait to watch them either. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it, was, it was amazing. It was amazing to see. Now, when you're playing a role uh, such as this, or even in your previous roles, do you find mm -hmm. as an actor, you have um, you know, room to kind of make it your own or do you find that your roles are quite rigid in that sense? Oh no, I think, you mean with this project? Yes, just uh, generally, do you feel that you have yeah. that room to kind of explore the character, take it further? Well, it depends. Each 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 project is slightly different. But for example, on, on, on the mangrove, um, it was very freeing. I mean, um, everybody, the team were amazing. Everybody, lights, um, you know, makeup, set design and location, everything was spot on. So um, Steve tends to work around the actors and um, so it's, it's a very organic process and it's not rigid at all. But of course you can go to the opposite end of the spectrum. Generally speaking, if you're working with kind of green screen or working on sci-fi, it tends to be more of a, um, a rigid procedure because obviously with so much um, technical um, doodars going on uh, you've got to um, be bang on the money so it can be quite a rigid process but with kind of social realism uh, truth is uh, key so um, you know your flat is the way that it's laid out you know um, and, and everything so uh, and it doesn't have to be the same every time so it varies really but I guess that's what you call the craft I guess yeah like working out working out the room, reading the room, but, but not, not like that with Steve at all. He'd just kind of follow you. It was, it was nice, organic process. And what was your favourite scene in the film? <laughs> oh, that's like asking me to pick a child. Um, <laughs> uh, no, do you know, um, the one that I will point out um, at the moment is um, it was the protest because 
it was as real as you can get it because obviously it was all handheld so the camera actually became a character within that scene and um uh, there was 250 supporting artists that day. Now, because of COVID, there aren't going to be any epic kind of scenes like that for a while. I think that the maximum we're allowed to do at the moment is 50. So to be involved, not that we knew about it already, but um, to be involved in something so huge and so real and so raw, people being dragged off and the stunts coordinators were fantastic on that and they were really they test your metal and they'd really grab you and they were so realistic and everybody was brilliant. The police, just the amount of people, you don't often get to um, experience that at all. So yeah, that I, I would say that would be my favourite, but they're all my favourite. <laughs> I've, got, I've got to say a personal favourite for me um, is that line. I think it's delivered by Malachi Kirby, who's playing Dark as Hell, where he's reading yeah. PLR James' line about these are new types of human beings. Yeah, you know that. Oh, yes, Stand yes, out. yes, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And that's what I mean, there's just so, there's just so much to pick from. I mean, it's, it's hard not to quote all the time, isn't it? It's, yeah. It really gets in your brain. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to pick. <laughs> and, that, and that courtroom scene, which I, I would say for me is the most powerful, you know, when you're saying, you know, he has nothing to do with the trial. Yeah, the officer has nothing to do. <laughs> I was exhausted after that. <laughs> yeah, I bet. That is such an energetic scene. And, uh, yes. Kind of, you know, almost musical-esque because, you know, you see all the stomping feet and it's like, yeah, yeah. very, very yeah. energetic. Yeah, it's amazing. I want to ask Sorry. you, um, you know, you've got this incredible career uh, as an actor, you know, Thank doing you. You know, all of these amazing films. Tell me a bit about what it was like growing up and how you, you know, entered into acting. Well, um, growing up, I grew up in um, a, a small village outside of Grimsby called Gox Hill. Um, I, I, I didn't really know I wanted to be an actor. I'm, I'm not a kind of one of those actors that knew from kind of five years old. I was always a bit of a, um, a wanderer, a bit of a kind of commitment phobe. And um, I, it got to the crux where I was kind of turning 16 and people were saying, what are you going to do? And I kind of went, I want to be a teacher which just wasn't uh, what I was about at all. But I, um, my school didn't do plays or drama or anything like that. So I didn't have any access. I'd, I'd never watched a play. I'd never seen any Shakespeare, any live Shakespeare. But my um, stepdad is actually a, a musical director for Amateur Dramatics. And he kind of um, dragged me along to a few musicals and said, you might enjoy it. Dip your toe in, see what you think. And um, I loved it. I thought I thought it was great. I wasn't sure whether or not the musical side of things was for me, but it was actually my stepdad that took me. He was like, "Why don't you just give it a go? Try and uh, try and attempt to audition for uh, drama schools." And uh, so he, t he took me. He took me on the rounds, and uh, um, we went in. And <laughs> luckily, I got I got a place. I got a place at East Dean Foundation course. Uh, which was such a brilliant introduction because I was, you know, 17, 18 at the time and um, I needed a lot, I needed a lot of catch-up <laughs> because I was seeing all these amazing people who could read Shakespeare and understand the I am, I am the pentameter and understand the meaning of character and things like that. So I felt like I had a lot of catching up to do. So I did that and then I uh, went back to E15 to do the three-year course 
And um, I actually dropped out of East 15 because I, I, I managed to get a place at, at RADA, which I, um, I, I just never thought in a million years I would be able to get in like a girl from Grimsby, you know, getting into to, to, to RADA. And, and that was the beginning of um, the business side of things because they've got such fantastic access to casting directors, um, you know, plays, um, you know, theatre directors, television directors, they've got cameras, they've got, you know, so it, it was a, it was an amazing experience. And then, um, yeah, and that's, that's it really. And then I was, I was chucked out into the real world. <laughs> and if you, if you look at your um, career trajectory and the characters you play, I guess yeah. um, you're quite unique in the sense you play all of these um, strong female characters. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's been an ongoing debate about representation in media, representation yeah. of women, people of colour. So, you know, I'll ask you, how have you found the industry and do you think that it's progressing in that sense? I think that it's massively progressing. I mean, um, there's always work to do, um, always. Um, I mean, from the time that I've been out for kind of 10 years now, um, and from the time that I left to now, it's it's vastly different. We're seeing, um, you know, one of my biggest issues when I left was the fact that I wasn't seeing any families like myself. So um, my family is a mixed race family. My brother is the kind of same kind of color as me, but my sister's, you know, white with freckles and blue eyes and blonde hair. And I wasn't seeing that representation, my own personal representation um, uh, within, within the industry. But as it goes for myself, I've never actually um, had the struggle that I know some kind of like darker toned, um, people have had. Um, I, I often only get cast as um, a, a woman. I'm very, very lucky like that. A, a, a woman, a lady, a girl, or whatever. Um, and it wasn't until Steve's project that I was actually being cast as a person um, of, of, of colour. So I've actually had quite a lucky, and I know that, but I've had a, I've had a very lucky run. And I know it's not been as easy for other people, but I think this surge and this process is, is 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 pushing forward and i just think that things are changing but i think as steve says many many times in many many interviews it's not just about the front of the camera it's behind the camera too so you need to be able to get you know black sparkies um you know uh, people of color everywhere within the team um you know makeup trucks are always a big um topic of debate because there's not often um any people of color that work on those and things like that so it's about making sure that head of departments and things like that are coming through and the opportunities are there for people and i think that actually people like steve are going to make that happen he's here to do that i mean i know that he's just set up a um production company a production house films that will run through his house, his house, <laughs> his production house. And um, he's at the forefront of changing that for crew. He made sure and as all head of departments and uh, all departments had um, uh, people of colour within them. Because it's about creating opportunity. It's, 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 a, it's, it's a very difficult and also political thing. It's, it's about being able to work for little money for a, for a small amount of time while you gather experience and move yourself up. And sometimes for people, that's not an option. To, 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 to work to work within those constraints of not earning any money and things like that, which is why um, the opportunities aren't fair or equal. Um, so, but, but with 
you know, people like Steve, that's, that's going to change. That's going to change. Now, looking back at your first role and then looking at where you are now, what would you yeah. say to uh, a younger self starting out in the career? I would say keep going, keep going. It's all about time and experience and you don't want the big stuff straight away because it'll be terrifying. Just to love every minute of it. It's, it's a joy and a blessing, you know, when wh whatever experience you get is, there is a varied one, even if it's a bad experience, suck it up just like a sponge. You know, each each one you'll peel back another layer and, and you dust yourself off and you get back up again. Now, something I do on the show with all my guests is I do a quick fire round of questions. Uh -huh. So I'm going to ask you to complete the sentence. God. The biggest misconception about me is... That I'm a miserable. I'm not, I'm going to swear that. that I'm a misery. Sorry. My biggest fear is spiders. Spiders. <laughs> Next. My biggest regret is not cutting my hair this year. <laughs> and finally, I am most proud of the mangrove nine. Mangrove nine. Rashenda, thank you so much for joining me on Tell a Friend. And I want to tell everyone to make sure to tune in to Mangrove this Sunday, uh, the 15th of November on BBC One. So thank oh, you for joining thank me. Thank you so much. Thank you.